I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, it's been a while since I've done a good old-fashioned plug for myself, so if you haven't yet and you've ever found any joy in this podcast, could you please go on to ratethispodcast.com slash kindacute, it's in the show notes, and leave a nice little review for it. I'm not kidding when I say that absolutely makes my day. On top of that, please feel free to follow the Kind of Cute Podcast Instagram or follow me at Bailey Evan. I'm really feeling like I just want to go full influencer soon, so get ready, strap in. <laughs> Let's get into our content. Obviously, I have to update you guys on Elizabeth Chambers and Army Hammer. Go back and listen to the last couple episodes if you don't feel caught up on that. Now, everyone was wondering what Elizabeth was going to say, and it's crazy because she hadn't said anything, which I totally get. I get her staying out of it, but I think it's so crazy what her first comment was. So Just Jared, which is this, they're always posting pop culture photos. It used to be more of a blog, but now they've really popped off on Instagram, and they're it's almost like a nicer TMZ. And they posted a picture of Timmy Chalamet, the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and and Army was in the picture. But it says that Timmy and Luca are about to be adapting a book called Bones and All, which is the coming of age story centered on a teenage cannibal. So Elizabeth Chambers comments on this with just no period words, no words. I just think it's crazy that her first time saying something is on a Just Jared post, but I mean, I feel her. I don't have words for it either. I can't even give a good analysis on it because I, what what can you say about that? It, the universe works in truly bizarre ways. The Golden Globe Awards came out, the nominations, and they continue to be bland as fucking hell with a lack of diversity and subbing many shows <laughs> that we're deserving. And of course, somehow Emily and Paris got a nom for best comedy and Lily Collins got one for best actress in that show. <laughs> Which I know a lot of people have been talking about that, but guys, it's just so insane to me because you guys know I liked that show. That show was such fun, escapism, fluffy, right up my alley. Did it deserve a Golden Globe in any universe? I personally, I think not. And I also don't think Lily was the best actor or actress in that show, but maybe that's just me. I have another update from our driver license teenage saga, you know, the little love triangle we talked about, which again, let me know if you guys were not into that. I was into it, so I'm going to continue to give you updates. Well, someone wrote into Dumois, the Instagram account that I'm obsessed with. I should literally just have a segment about Dumois. Dumois, please, please come on this podcast. And she posted someone writing into her saying that Joshua Bassett, remember we talked about him a lot. He pays Ricky on HSM, the musical, the series, and then Sabrina Carpenter, the famous blonde, they are coming out with a song called We Both Know. You heard it here second because you heard it on Dumois first. Guys, tomorrow, mark your calendars, February 5th. If you have a Hulu account, I use my little brothers. I text him like every month re-asking him for the password. Uh, they are doing a like a documentary show. It's a New York Times series on Hulu and I haven't seen any of the other episodes, but the one tomorrow is focusing on Britney Spears and her conservatorship. So I definitely am going to watch it tomorrow. 
I think we might dive a little bit deeper into that. We touched on the whole Britney Spears conservatorship issue and the weird conspiracy theories about it that I just was not really buying. I forget what episode that was, but if you do a little Google, you'll see it. We touched on it briefly and I want to go into it deeper. So keep an eye out for that. It has been too long since we've talked about Hilaria Baldwin, aka fake Spanish mom married to Alec Baldwin. Really, I stand by it being being my favorite pop culture story of 2020. It just brought me so much joy. Now, I am so shocked that Salma Hayek actually commented on this. So Salma Hayek played Alec Baldwin's love interest on 30 Rock for a little while. And there's a lot of rumors that he was into Salma in real life and like tried to get with her. And people were saying that Hilari was kind of like this low budge, you know, what's the word? Like a dupe for (laughs) Salma Hayek because he couldn't get the real thing. Yeah. A B side, a B side Salma Hayek. Uh, So that's why I find Salma commenting on this particularly noteworthy. And her quotes are incredible. So she said this when she was on Andy Cohen's, I'm sorry, I don't remember if it was his podcast or Watch What Happens Live, but I think her quotes are incredible and very understanding, probably more understanding than I would be if someone was just straight up appropriating my culture. Like I, but again, I can't put myself in her shoes. I would have no idea what that would feel like, but this is what she said. We all lie a little bit. She makes my friend happy. She fooled me because she's such a good mother. She has five kids and you know, I don't care. It makes me feel proud that people are inspired. I think she's smart to want to be Spanish. We're cool, you know? Don't we all create our own character in life? I mean, this might be extreme, okay, but I don't care. She's not a bad person. She's a good person, a good mother, a good wife. She makes my friend happy. She's very kind to me, and that's all I care about. I'm sorry. I don't mean to betray or hurt anybody's feelings, and I don't know if it's right or if it's wrong. I'm not going to judge somebody just because of that one thing. Well, first off, I have to say she is really right about Spanish people being cool. I wish I had been born as a Spanish person. I love Spain. Really, I mean, again, I'm like that bitch who's only been to like three cities in Spain. Well, now that sounds obnoxious. I was gonna be like, well, I'm that bitch who's only been to like Barcelona. And then I'm like, wait, no, I've been to Madrid and San Sebastian too. I can't just, I just, I've been to Ibiza too. Fuck. I sound, I sound awful. Okay. I love Spain, period. If I ever do get married or if I just throw myself an elaborate party, which I am prone to do, uh, it will be in Spain. You know, I, everyone likes to talk about Italy and a little Italy lighting. No, Spain is where it's at for me. It's my favorite country. So bottom line, Salma Hayek is right. Spanish people are cool, period. <sighs> Moving on. Speaking of someone who actually can speak Spanish and is Mexican, let's talk about Selena Gomez. Uh, this month, or I'm sorry, this week, I was binging Selena and Chef. It's on HBO Max. Shout out to Tasha. She recommended this show months ago, and I finally got around to watching it. And guys, I love it so much. We binged almost all the episodes. We're almost caught up on season two. But I have a few comments. First off, everyone comments on Selena's knives. Tasha did too. I think Tasha bought the knives off Amazon. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tasha. And I kind of want them myself now. Uh, and that's great. I did love the knives too. But what I want to comment on is the fact that when she opens up her fridge, she has her peanut butter in the fucking fridge. Who the hell do people do that? Do people listening to this podcast do that? Because there is nothing worse than 
spreading a cold, hard peanut butter on your white bread. It doesn't work. And then the other thing I loved about it is that she had rows of Gatorade. And I don't know if that was a subtle brand deal. I don't think it was, though. I think she's just into Gatorade. And she had the red and blue flavors. I support the red. I'm more of a yellow and orange and red girl. Kenzie loves blue, though. So she was, you know, we would get along with Selena. That's what I took from that. If she can move her peanut butter to the pantry, I think we could get along. Now, the last thing I want to comment on this show is that these friends that she has are so fucking annoying. I, Raquel, I'm sorry, Raquel, you got to go. I, if I have to watch Raquel miss one more thing up again or eat the food before it's ready or just be generally so stupid, I can't. And I, you know, I'm women supporting women. I never want to come on here and call women stupid, but that girl, she has got to go. And is this coming from a place of me being incredibly jealous that she's Selena's best friend and gets to spend quarantine with her? Yes, of course it is. But her botched lips and her stupid ass can walk right off that show. I'm sorry. I think that might be the meanest I've ever been on this podcast. That is how passionate I am about Raquel. That is most definitely the meanest you've ever been. I I will say though, between Raquel and Selena, I think I love their dynamic. I think they're really cute friends together, but sometimes they do look like they're sharing a brain cell. There are times when both of them are like, what is that you're talking about? What is that? Like, I don't know. The mise en place. The mise en place. Which leads me to my next point. Selena, every chef, there's 10 episodes in season one, okay? And I swear every single chef who comes on says we need to get your mise en place ready and that's this idea of when you're cooking you have all your ingredients in place and I abide by this method when I started making mise en place my cooking just became so much less stressful because I'm not like having something boiling over on the oven while I'm trying to get the cinnamon you know out of the pantry and I can't find it if you put all your stuff out ahead of time and measure it and get it all ready it really can save you but the thing was by episode eight Selena, who's been told what mise en place is eight times, still couldn't remember what mise en place was. And then on top of that, and maybe this is why I hate Raquel, they just kept doing the stupidest shit. At one point, Selena is trying to make a meringue. So, you know, you have a a water bath that you put your heat-resistant bowl over so that the water can gently heat the eggs and they don't curdle, Right. Well, Selena thinks it's a good idea to take her mixer, her hand mixer, which again, seemed like she had never used. So I guess I don't know if Selena's never made, you know, chocolate chip cookies. It was like she didn't know how to put the little things in. So she's making it. The cord is draping over her gas oven. So imagine you have an open flame, you have a cord plugged in, and your hand mixer is just going at it as your cord drapes over the fire. The cord at one point is literally smoking. And then they kind of shift it over a little bit. (laughs) But they don't think that like maybe it would be a better idea if I plugged it in somewhere else and didn't have it draping over the damn open flame. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like so riled up about Selena and Chef. That being said, I love Selena. She's so pure. She can do nothing wrong in my book. Um, Raquel can go. (laughs) Is the teapot on fire? The teapot? I don't remember cooking a teapot. I think maybe we should take that thing off. 
There's like that coming, smoke coming, that coming out from, from, the from, the, from this. Oh, this is on fire! Oh Stop God. the fire! Get it out! Stop, I don't think Stop it! Stop it! What is on fire? The parchment paper. The parchment paper is on fire inside the oven. What do we do? Oh, I have oh, to no. take it out. We gotta get it out. Yeah, turn off right. the oven. All right, just open it. Hey, the oven's off, right? Get it out! All right. Are we on to our first article? Oh, we finally are. Sorry, guys. Oh, I should also probably warn you that this is going to be a long episode. I just have a lot to talk about this week. So get comfy. Our first article. Jennifer Coolidge once posed as twins to date two men at once by Claire Lampin. Now, I would think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Jennifer Coolidge is. But to me, she is such an iconic comedy actress and probably what everyone without a doubt will know her as is being in Legally Blonde. She is the bend and snapper, you know, with the UPS man, with the package. She goes and saves uh, her dog in Legally Blonde 2, two no, 1. Blonde. Oh, shoot. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I feel like a bad fan. Um, You know, makes me want a hot dog real bad. I can't do her accent. I'm taking the dog. Dumbass. Clearly, Kenzie has much better impressions than I am. We should just have a segment of Kenzie doing impressions. So Jennifer was recently on Kelly Clarkson's talk show, which I have never seen. Uh, again, would love some feedback. Is it good? Let me know. And I guess Jennifer's in Promising Young Woman, which I didn't know. And I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that movie. I feel like we need to watch that this weekend. And Jennifer talked about how a few years back when she visited Hawaii... She was on vacation by herself and she says, you know, when you're on vacation by alone, you can kind of create anything you want. I ended up meeting these guys that were best friends and I liked them both. So I told them that I had an identical twin and I dated both guys. I don't know if I would have the guts to do that now, she added, but at the time it was sort of a great decision because when you're younger, you just get away with anything. I mean, the balls, the the pussy on this woman, the fact that she pulled that off. And I really wish that Kelly had delved more into this. Like, how did she make it happen? Did the twins have different names? Were the guys aware that there was a twin? Like, how how did it? Like, I, I know they were best friends, so obviously they knew. But, but how did she pull it off? Because these guys are going and talking to each other. This is sort of the inverse of what happened to me in college where – two guys I had a thing with told me that they were stepbrothers and I was mortified and then I realized it was a whole big prank that they were playing on me and they were not related at all so this kind of happened to me but like inverse and like worse um yeah so hats off to Jennifer Coolidge (laughs) and oh the article also points out that she managed to sustain this for two weeks again I don't I can't even I've said it a million times I cannot get a date with one man the thought of going and dating two men and pretending I have a twin I can't get my head around it I just don't it it really is a true feat of acting that she was able to do this so hats off to her I love this if I ever got to meet her I would need a deep dive into this story the details, who these men were, where they are today, if they ever found out, did they know she was Jennifer Coolidge? Do Are they just realizing now that she's Jennifer Coolidge? Like, I need to know everything about it. 
All right, talking about another female icon, Dolly Parton is to launch her perfume during the Super Bowl by Erica Smith. Okay, I, whatever, I turn the Super Bowl on. I don't really care about it. Whatever, who's in it? The Bucks and the Chiefs? Oh, there we go. I knew, I knew. Okay, so we're team Bucks here because they're Tampa's team. Yeah, fuck Tom Brady. Whatever. We're still going to root for them. I guess they're not the underdog, but whatever. I don't give a shit about Kansas City. Um, so this is what I gleaned from this article and what I wanted to share with you guys. Mark your calendars. Set your alarms. During the third quarter, the National Treasure and Coronavirus Research Funder, that's what Erica Smith writes, she will be having her perfume, Dolly, sent from above. Guys, how cute is that? It's S-C-E-N-T from above. I love that. It's going to be in a Squarespace commercial. It's going to be a soundtrack from Dolly herself. And then right after that commercial plays, there will be $10 samples of the fragrance available at dollyfragrance.com. And I'm going to buy it. I don't care. This is like all I'm marking for the Super Bowl. I'm going to like try to get some little stone crabs from our local market, maybe make some spinach artichoke dip, get my little fingers ready to go to dollyfrangers.com and get the $10 sample. I don't care if that's a little bit of a ripoff because if it's just one of those bullshit little bottles that you can get for free at Sephora, I'm not going to be totally happy, but I feel good supporting Dolly. And here's the real kicker. That $10 can then be credited towards the purchase of the full-size sense once it becomes available in July. There you go. Next article. Okay, what the hell is in a Subway tuna sandwich by Claire Lampin. I felt like this subject was near and dear to my heart and not because I really love Subway, but for a few reasons. When I was in high school, there was a subway right in the little strip mall by my high school. And I would go there all of the time. I was very partial to the meatball sub, which is probably the most unhealthy thing on that menu. But I have to say, as a pescatarian, I really miss a meatball sub. We should try to make a faux one, Kenzie. Mm-hmm. On top of that, my brother Trey worked at Subway in college. And my sister Danny loves a tuna sandwich from Subway. She gets it with just the tuna salad and lettuce, right? Is that right, Kenzie? Just the lettuce and the tuna salad. No other toppings. She's a purist. So sadly, according to a new lawsuit, Subway's tuna sandwiches contain no scintilla of tuna at all. Anything but tuna, in fact. We found that the ingredients were not tuna and not fish, attorney Shalini Dogra told the Washington Post, declining to disclose the specifics. Now, Subway, they stand by their product. They say, tuna is one of our most popular sandwiches. This is from the Senior Director for Global Food Safety and Quality at Subway. Our restaurants receive pure tuna, mix it with mayonnaise, and serve it on a freshly made sandwich to our guests. And in a statement to the New York Post, the spokesperson called the allegations baseless and frivolous. But this article also points out that Subway's bread is not even considered bread in Ireland because its actual makeup is closer to cake. Yes, like cake, cake, cake. And they got sued for having bread with ingredients that had the same ingredients as a yoga mat. And I'll tell you, like when you smell that that Subway bread cooking, it doesn't smell right. It smells maybe like plastic is being cooked. So this was very believable to me. And even I thought that in high school and I still ate that bread. And there is nothing better than a Subway cookie. Fight me on that. Have you ever had a Subway cookie? It's better than a Panera cookie. Mm-hmm. Now, 
<laughs> I went to the subway.com site and Subway is just really going for it because if you go to subway.com and this was as of today, this afternoon I checked, they have a pop-up and it pops up on your screen so you can't avoid it and it says 100% real wild-caught tuna, 100% delicious. And then they give a code for 15% off and y'all just, just guess what this code is. Okay, did you guess? It's real. <laughs> All caps. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so funny. So I just love that they're like, screw you guys. Our tuna is real. And honestly, <laughs> tuna is a pretty, canned tuna is pretty cheap. Like I guarantee they're just getting bags of it for nothing. Now they're probably getting like the chunk light instead of the white, and it's probably even cheaper. And maybe that's the issue. Maybe the chunk light tuna like isn't coming up with the same chemical makeup as a pure white albacore. Would that make that's sense? That's being classist if whoever the people <laughs> do. Yeah, I agree. Well, I just want to know. chunk white is always cheaper than the chunk white. But I would love to know what prompted this lawsuit. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of crazy class actions that happen. But to test this, they would have had to get the tuna and then ship it off to a lab because there's no other way that you'd be able to know if the tuna is tuna. And at that point, like that tuna is going to be old. Like, are they? Yeah. Over- I guess they're. I guess you'd have to like overnight it to lab. Probably keep it chilled. You'd probably have to be in a city that has a lab. Yeah, you just walk you, it over. Yeah, and like the person who was filing this was the person who worked in the lab. I guarantee you maybe what happened is someone got a piece of plastic and they were like, there's plastic in my tuna. And they sent it to the lab and they're like, there's more than just plastic in your tuna. It's not even tuna at all. Again, I just think it's someone trying to get a quick buck on a class action lawsuit. And when the yoga mat stuff came out and the cake bread came out. And Jerry. uh, Yeah, poor Subway. I forgot about freaking Jerry. Subway's been there a ringer. (laughs) All right, well, to take things in a way darker direction, I'm sorry for the whiplash you're about to get as we transition to this next article. Um, Okay, sorry, no more laughter. Evan Rachel Wood, Marilyn Manson, Horrifically Abused Me by Angelina Chapin. Now, back in 2018, Evan Rachel Wood went to Congress. She sat there and she talked about how she had been raped and beaten by a former partner. And the purpose of her giving that statement was to advocate for a bill to better protect sexual assault survivors. And during that congressional meeting, she talked about being subjected to, quote, sick rituals that involved binding me up by my hands and feet to be mentally and physically tortured until my abuser felt I had proven my love for them. In this moment, while I was tied up and being beaten and being told unspeakable things, I truly felt like I could die. And at the time when she gave that statement a couple years ago, she said that she didn't feel safe enough to name the perpetrator. But on Monday morning, she posted a Instagram and she confirmed the public's suspicions. Because honestly, since she came out with this, people have always suspected that this was about Marilyn Manson because she was very publicly with him. She was way younger than him. She was only like 18 at the time. He was like two decades her senior. 
So she posts, the name of my abuser is Brian Warner, also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. He started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years. I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission. I'm done living in fear of retaliation, slander, or blackmail. I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. I stand with the many victims who will no longer be silent. And right after that, four other women issued statements about him. So one of her, one of the women's names was Sarah McNeely, and in her statement, she said that Marilyn Manson would lock her in rooms when she was quote bad and berate her for quote hours upon hours. And the cut confirmed this treatment with an anonymous source who feared legal repercussions and used to be part of Manson's inner circle. So that's pretty. I mean, not that I would ever doubt a victim in the first place, but I think that goes to show the true validity of all of this and another woman named Ashley Walter said it felt like I was his property because he would offer me up for sexual encounters to please potential collaborators or friends and bragged that he could do so the cut also confirmed this uh with a source who says they witnessed these interactions so that's again that's a first like a person literally seeing it happen and Walters Ashley Walters was actually his personal assistant and she says that he would force her to stay at his house for days, like sometimes not letting her sleep. He would throw glass plates and heavy objects around. And many nights I feared for my safety or the safety of others, she said. And all of the women I think that have come out have talked about the incredible PTSD this has caused them. And of course, this is Manson's uh, response on in a social media statement. Obviously, my art and life have long been magnets for controversy, but these recent claims about me are horrible distortions of reality. My intimate relationships have always been entirely consensual with like-minded partners. Regardless of how and why others are now choosing to misrepresent the past, that is the truth. Notably, he's been dropped by Loma Vista Recordings, his recording label, and many other companies who worked with him. Um, It's interesting to me because while this is a much more polished statement than armies who to the Daily Mail was like, it's fucking bullshit, you know, it has similarities. I think it's so like, oh, my life has been magnets for controversy. And it's it's kind of just like the inverse of Army Hammer, who's this total waspy, perfect boy next door, all American and just feeling like he's untouchable. And then you have Marilyn Manson who's like, oh, people are just judging me because of how I'm, I look and how I present myself. And again, I think this to me goes to that what I was talking about with ARMY, where it's like, when do these fetishes and fantasies and desires, how do you stop them from crossing this line? Because I think in both of their situations, I, I, I mean, again, not to put words in any victim's mouth, But I feel like Manson was just so living this image of his scary makeup and scary face and his, you know, devil worship music. Um, Right? Because wasn't his music like kind of like Satan stuff? Okay. I can't say I've ever listened to a Marilyn Manson song. And I, oh no, they're like screaming. They're awful. I mean, I say I haven't listened to one and I'm like, but I know they're screaming. Okay. I have heard Marilyn Manson and it does invoke a sense of fear into me. Yeah. So I'm just like, I just feel like it's the other end of the spectrum. It's almost like someone who would have been a straight up incel if he wasn't a famous musician being like, women owe this to me. And 
I'm such a freak and they know what they're getting themselves into and it's consensual. And I think it's just such this lack of awareness to think just because you want something that it's consensual to the other person. And I, uh, I think it's just a problem when people have this sort of power and they've gone through life, whether it's someone who's like an incel type or if it's the golden Chad, like Army Hammer is. I don't know. I mean, I really want to comment on how anyone would ever even get close. Like, I'm literally scared of Marilyn Manson. I wouldn't get close to him with a 10-foot stick. I'm one of those people, like, I can't look at scary things. I've never been to Hollywood Horror Nights or whatever. What's it called? Universal? Yeah, I've never been to that because just looking at scary things and scary things being close to me makes me want to vomit. And again, this is not about these women. I, I get that. I'm sure he must have been very charming and engaging and really offered something to them to draw them in in this way. But to me, looking at him is just so utterly repulsive. Okay, (laughs) moving on. I think about this a lot when Justin Bieber got pink eye. Again, we are wildly swinging, guys. You know I have to bury the sad stuff in the middle. You got to sandwich it. But all my love goes out to Evan Rachel Wood, all of the victims of his abuse. I hope he gets criminal proceedings brought against him it's not enough that he's just getting dropped by his record labels okay moving on happier times justin bieber getting pink eye by verinda jagota now i don't remember this happening but i definitely have always followed justin bieber and i feel like i must have seen this happen wait may 2017 was that when we saw him in philly was that 2017 2016 okay so we saw him like a year exact almost exactly a year before that But in May 20th, 2017, he contracted conjunctivitis, also known as pink eye, and he informed his loyal followers about it on Instagram not once, not twice, but five times within an hour, Verinda writes. And she explains the post, and she says that all of them are solemn and blurry and straight to the point. And he says, my left eye has conjunctivitis. These are the first two posts. (laughs) And then he says, this eye has conjunctivitis. That's a third one, and the image is more cropped. And then in the fourth post, it's even more dramatic. And he says, you can see it better here. And then he switches the images from color to black and white to make the infection more visible. So the final post, the fifth one, it just says conjunctivitis. And then (laughs) he posts a graphic saying, hashtag be bold. And as she writes, as quickly as they started, they were over. Like how I don't remember this, because I might have just been scrolling through and scrolled past a close-up of eyeballs because, again, I'm squeamish, guys. (laughs) I can't handle, like, close-ups of eyeballs. I'm shocked I was able to get LASIK. Well, close-up of pink eye. It's not cute. Oh, God, it's terrible. Yeah. And I thought, though, that this article, she makes such a good point. I didn't know where she was going with it, but... Her point of this, the the pull together of her article is that his pink eye posts are the antithesis of big production theatrics, and they're just a little insight into what it's like in his quiet moments. And she likes them for that reason, because it's his willingness to be personal online and to be publicly rattled by a seemingly minor treatable infection that most people wouldn't think was worth posting about. And she says, I sometimes wonder if I would have a better relationship with social media if I modeled my behavior after his on the day he posted about Pink Eye. If I shared exactly what I was feeling with complete disregard to whether it was compelling, witty, or even logical. And 
she kind of goes into how she just wishes she had a little bit more of a casual relationship with social media and it wasn't so curated about like oh what am I going to post in Q3 like my one update for Instagram that they're getting you know and I think that is true because that's something I sort of think about a lot like I don't think I give like an overly oh my god my life is amazing view on Instagram and I try to just post the moments in my life that I want to remember so obviously it's it's the more positive stuff but I always would like to be more honest and vulnerable on social media and it's actually why I find a lot of solace in this podcast because I feel like when I'm on here I could tell you guys anything and maybe it's just because my face isn't in it and it's just my voice but I don't know. It's just, it's very freeing. And maybe like what we all need to take away from this is maybe when we have pink eye next time, maybe we should just throw it up on the, on the main grid. Now I want to talk about something that Kenzie and I think about a lot. All right. Cause you know, the cut authors are getting to have all the fun here. And I thought it was time for us to have a little bit of fun. And this is truly something that both of us think about a lot. Kenzie, do you want to get into it? Sure. You want to know what I think about a lot? I think a lot about how men who have only sisters, especially older sisters, or they're, you know, maybe they're sandwiched in the middle, so they have some older, some younger, they are infinitely better than men who do not. And I will say, I have guy friends who don't have any siblings or don't have any sisters and yes they are very nice men but I do think you could be a little bit better if you had a sister I'm just gonna say it yeah and this is something we actually think and talk about a lot but there's someone on TikTok her name is at the franchise underscore and she spoke about this because what was the original TikTok so it was one of those stitch TikToks and I think it was the Liberian gal it's like it looks like like the word Liberian and then G-Y-A-L. And she was like, what is an opinion that you feel really strongly about? And I, I think it's like concerning men and the franchise. Yeah, wait, I think it was what's a rule you have about yeah, men about, that about like men. proves to be true. Yeah. And the, the girl, like the one who responded at the franchise, she was like, men who have only sisters. That's who I like my interactions with. And are we a little biased because we only have one brother who is the youngest of us? Oh, and yes. her TikTok also made the point it's even better if the older girl siblings have a lot of like kind of big personalities. Yes, 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 yes. Like make it very known, I think, their opinions. Which we're all we're all kind of introverts and we're not really like, you know, you if you saw us on the street, you would be like, oh, they're so outgoing. But in the house, oh, honey, like don't cross us. I'll go on a Raquel size rant about you in the house. Yeah, like <laughs> where it really is. It's like, don't, 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 <laughs> don't test me. And Trey is, again, I know we're biased, but Trey is pretty much one of the best men that we've, we've met, I've met. And I, I can say that also because pretty much anyone that comments on him is like, he's a really good guy. And he's actually like very feminine. Okay. For example, Trey took the same AP course that all of us took. He had the same AP teacher we had in 11th grade. Trey decided for one of his final projects to write this really touching 
essay, um, but he wrote it specifically through a feminist lens. And then you kind of had to take, because it was like, you write a, 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 so through this lens, and then it was like your justification for using that lens. And his justification when he was to his teacher was that he's like, I have three older sisters, and they've really influenced me as far as how I view women and how I view society. And I, I just felt that it was important to write through this lens. And she told him, she's like, in the, what, 15 years I have been teaching, she's like, not a single boy I have ever had has written through a feminist lens. And it was very touching when Trey told us that. I was like, I know you're getting praise from your teacher, Trey, but I was like, but I am very happy that like to know that we have influenced you in that way. And he has been said that by that by a lot of people. And I will say in personal experience, anyone that I have met with a sister, think you're automatically nicer. You're a little more understanding. You're a little less dismissive of women's problems. Well, I have to go back to Trey for a second because I don't want in the off chance he listens to this, even though I know he won't. He can be such a little dick to us. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, still a little white kid. Oh, I'm always like, you're such a little asshole. Like, you're such a little dick. Like, he'll be so annoying and rude to us. But I have to give it to him. Like, he treats his girlfriend really well. In case Izzy's listening to this, like, maybe you disagree. But I think he treats her really well. (laughs) He treats all women very well. Like, all, I feel like all of our friends, all of, like, Sheridan's friends who are closer in his age, like, everyone says really good things about him. But again, I don't want to get too insular here and make this about our brother. So my question to you is, do you find this to be true? Can you give us an example of men in your life? Like, reach out in the DMs. Maybe I'll talk about it next week. I would love to hear from you. All right, and that's our something we think a lot about a lot mm-hmm. for this week moving on we have a new segment guys we're gonna go back into the archives of new york mag and in fact we're gonna go 10 years back we're doing a deep cut y'all this is january 28 2011 in new york mag and it's an article called the geek kings of smut by benjamin wallace now <laughs> this article shook me when i read it because One of the first lines, wait, let me set the scene for you. So he's talking about the 2011 Adult Video Awards in Las Vegas. And he's talking about how the scene is a little bit pared down than how it usually is. And it's not the porn, you know, extravaganza that it had been before. But one of the first lines says there are actual M-I-D-G-E-T-S. Like, he wrote that word in New York Mag 10 years ago. And I'm like, hello? What? Like, I just cannot believe that's how they were writing 10 years ago. Because I'm pretty sure when I was in high school, I knew that is not something you say. And to set the scene even more, if you're my age, I am 32 years old. In 2011, January, I was a senior in college having a breakdown because I at that point had gotten into UF law school and knew that's where I was going the next year, but like really regretting my life choices and um, just wanting to cry that I was graduating college. So just to set, you know, set the scene, that was 10 years ago. And Ron Jeremy is at this award show. It says... Ron the Hedgehog Jeremy, the starriest living male porn star, ambles along the carpet in a sad, grubby collar and with an air of existential depletion. And that's crazy to me because now it's come out that Ron Jeremy was a total scuzzball. I mean, beyond the fact that he was a porn star, like the most famous porn star, it was also that he apparently assaulted a lot of women. 
So just, again, it was like a crazy that that's where we are today versus 10 years ago. And this is a very, very long article. But like I said, it's talking about how the awards that year were scaled back. And part of that was because people were getting their porn in different ways. And a lot of them were just getting it from the internet and not paying for it. And even Ron Jeremy said he has been forced to diversify into quote, cookies, penis pills, and a blender, which honestly kind of sounds like your normal influencer of today. It's just, you know, sugar, bare hair instead of penis pills. And it says, for a decade or so to the porn industry, the internet looked like the best thing ever invented, a distribution shoot liberating it from the trench coat ghetto of brown paper wrappers and seedy adult bookstore, an easy pass to a vast untapped bedroom audience. Also, the use of ghetto, really not PC, like, hello, Ben, are you okay? Um... And it was saying how the chief culprits of the porn establishment as they knew it dying were these new tube sites, which were these YouTube-like repositories of content. They were often free and often pirated, which is the same stuff that is still around today, like YouTube, Pornhub. There's some other ones mentioned here that I haven't heard of. And actually, a lot of this article talks about this company, Browsers, and Literally how it was formed by these people in competitive foosball circuit and they joined to create this huge porn brand and how these people are all like kind of losers and nerds. And I'm like, of course, it's these freaking losers and nerds who are dictating how women's bodies are shown and how pornography is being consumed. And it's disgusting to me that it's always been such a male dominated industry and women's bodies have been at issue. And I think to me, that's why I see the benefits of OnlyFans because to me it gives more autonomy to the women and I'm not super educated on any of this but I feel like any time that it can be put in the hands of women and them give be given more autonomy and control I've said that many times on here but I just really stand by that because ugh, yikes and it's actually crazy because it talks about how cam girling was starting to get more popular at the time because cam girls didn't really have to worry about pirating because it was more of this one-on-one relationship with the person on the other side of the cam. And the author of this, Benjamin Wallace, he pays for a session with a cam girl named Liz and just kind of talks to her about her experience in it. And she talks about how she's kind of fearful of all of the piracy that goes on. And the article ends with her saying, you want control of where your stuff appears. Stolen porn irks the hell out of me. So she tries at least once a month to buy a DVD from an adult video store. So she feels like she's giving back a little bit. And again, I think with sex workers, just with the prevalence of pirated and free pornography online, I think until things like OnlyFans came around, cam girling was really the only option they had to have their own way of making money. And the amount of money that they were making 10 years ago, this cam girl says like on a good or some of the people interviewed say like on a good month they can make. Oh, because it also talks about a couple, a gay couple and how they kind of started really making like their idea of like beautiful gay porn between two men. And I think they were making like 1200 every two weeks. And think about that. Like today, people can make $1,200 on OnlyFans in an hour. So 
I just thought this was so wild to kind of compare and contrast where the porn industry was back then to where it is today. And again, this is not something I'm super knowledgeable on, but just reading this article, you can just tell how much technology changes in that amount of time. And really my hope is in the future that men just stop being so disgusting women have control of their bodies when stop women stop being objectified so disgustingly because going back to marilyn manson and army hammer i'm sorry i keep talking about them but if we allow guys i'm sorry to like get sidetracked but i feel so passionate about this i'm like if we allow like this kind of porn that is so degrading to women and imagery of women being so degraded and just being like oh well you shouldn't kink shame again we're creating an environment where women can be abused and taken advantage of. And that's on that. Let's get into legit shit for the day. I am currently drinking some of this. This is from my Primal Wine Club. You can find it at primalwine.com, P-R-I-M-A-L-W-I-N-E.com. And it is all natural, like biodynamic, vegan wines, organic wines. They have like a whole different variety of wines. I have the six-pack. It's the monthly six-pack. It costs $155, which maybe sounds a little steep, but I swear it's a great deal because it includes shipping. The wines you get are really good, unique kind of niche wines. And I just really recommend it. And I think I've mentioned them on here before, but I've never actually featured their wine club as a legit shit. So I thought it was time this week. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in and I will see you next week. Bye.